listening to the CIPD podcast series. In this programme, we reflect on the impact that globalisation is having on businesses and the challenges it presents for the HR profession. While much of our focus is on international and global business, the effect that globalisation is having on the way that domestic organisations operate also provides interesting food for thought. We'll be hearing from a number of very different organisations, but it seems they're wrestling with very similar issues. Research into the future of HR in Europe, conducted by the Boston Consulting Group in association with the CIPD and the European Association for Personnel Management, has highlighted globalisation and its consequences as a priority for the HR profession. Philip Krinks, author of the report, set the scene for us. The purpose of the research was to try to identify the future issues for HR departments uh, looking out uh, about 10 years to, we said, 2015. And so there's a range of things that we've looked at in that, of which one thing is the growing importance of international issues and of globalisation, which has emerged as one of the top three concerns across the whole of HR. And we hear a lot about globalisation in, in the wider business context now, but was it particular sorts of organisations that were focusing on it for your report? Large ones, small ones? private sector, public sector, who was it? Well, the primary focus of this was private sector, and I think there were two types of organisation who were replying and saying it was an issue. One were companies who are themselves already international, so they're operating in three or four or ten or forty countries. Um, And the other case would be companies that are currently domestic companies, but they either have international businesses in terms of their customer base, or they imagine themselves becoming international in terms of their operation over the next five to ten years. Would you expect to see a great many more organisations facing these international challenges in the coming ten years? Yes, I think all the evidence is that we will do. One organisation that knows about globalising HR is pharmaceutical giant Pfizer. With 12,000 employees in R&D sites around the world, I asked their Executive Director of International HR, Martin Ferber, what he saw as the key considerations for organisations and HR professionals taking on international responsibilities. They certainly need to think about how they're structured uh, to uh, meet that international challenge. Uh, They need to understand what it is they are... um, what the business is thinking about from an international perspective. So I think a dialogue immediately with what is the business doing internationally, where can HR's thinking intersect, how to structure HR to meet that uh, thinking, that business challenge, and then to pick out some key topics. And I'm sure there are many, a plethora of things to be done, but pick out some key topics and get focused on those. Establishing your focus is a first step. The research also looked at the priorities for an organisation seeking to embed an international HR strategy. Philip talks us through the findings. If you were to take Europe as a whole, um, there were three priorities that emerged around the issue of globalisation. The first was the challenges of managing international teams. Secondly, creating a strong enough corporate culture to cross national boundaries. And thirdly, increasing uh, diversity in the workforce. Now, of those, I know that managing teams was the one that preoccupies people most. What are the key issues there that HR should think about? Well, the three issues we identified there, first one was around incentives. So the importance of having incentives for the team members which are aligned or harmonised. 
The second was the critical importance of personal networks in making those teams work. So that comes down to um, quite concrete things like the need to have training programs that are international as opposed to by country so that people meet each other uh, outside the workplace. And then thirdly, that the many challenges of working cross-culturally uh, and having good cultural awareness in, in your way of working. While it's important to understand the challenges, what impact do they have on HR itself? I chatted with Kay Penny, Vice President for HR at Invensys APV. Although APV has been established for almost 100 years, Kay explained why it considers itself to be the first generation taking a global approach to HR. How important would you say it is for a company like APV to have an international HR department with an international team? For me, it's absolutely fundamental. I I inherited um, a year ago um, a group of people who, apart from um, personnel managers in country, were largely British. And albeit that um, uh, they had a a good understanding of the business, for the way in which we want to grow the organisation going forward, which is very much against what we call a global culture, i.e. we have, where it makes sense, we have a one-size-fits-all, but we do respect local needs um, and requirements. And what's, lo- what's glo- um, global, what's local, um, has to be debated on uh, in each case. Actually having a nationality imposed upon you with a culture that isn't really terribly understanding isn't helpful. And so uh, my new HR team that report directly into me now represent, are representative of all the continents of the, of the globe. And I'm finding that we're making decisions in a different way, we work in a different way than we would if I had a completely British team. Can you expand on that a little for me? Yes. For example, um, by understanding um, how the Far East um, views uh, line management, we have changed radically our first uh, employee survey. And so most surveys in the West would ask in some way, either directly or indirectly, questions about your line manager. Are you receiving an appraisal on a regular basis? Do you understand what you're doing? Do you have the tools to be able to do your job? In many cultures, particularly in, uh, in Asia, uh, that has a veiled criticism of your boss if you answer no. But there, aren't, there are questions that the organisation needs to understand in order to be able to provide assistance, training, development, coaching, etc. to line managers who may be struggling. And so we have been able to word the questions in such a way that nobody's offended, but we get the information. Some interesting points there, not least that it can be all too easy to assume you understand your own culture. David Fairhurst, Vice President of People in the UK for McDonald's, gives a word of caution about keeping your eye on the ball. The challenge of managing people across countries is that even if you take your own country, if you just take UK for a minute, is, you know, for the first time we're seeing the largest generational diversity that's ever existed in the workplace. The millennial generation, their expectations of multitasking, of constant stimulation. So within your own country, there is massive growing diversity. Now, Take that alongside the cultural diversity and challenges of organisations that work beyond borders. The challenge for HR is enormous, but it's a challenge that we really need to get into because this is going to be key in how we engage people within the country and across borders so that we can drive the overall uh, organisation forward. To find out more about the practical challenges, I chatted more with Martin from Pfizer. Based on your very wide experience, what are the diversity issues around managing an international workforce? 
Oh, this is an interesting one. I mean, one of the things I try to remind people is that um, that it's not just the people you work with on an everyday basis, you know, around you um, that may be diverse. It's actually that you're working in a global world uh, where um, so much of our contact is virtual, and uh, that's where actually also you can re- and hit some real diversity barriers. And uh, it is important to get an understanding, I think, across, for example, two countries, global team. Let's take the two extremes, UK, Japan. Uh, these people are talking. They may not get a chance to meet. Uh, they're talking on the telephone. They're talking in video conference. Uh, I think some basic training um, on, on the cultural differences, cultural understanding, where people come from, is, is helpful. David Fairhurst thinks that HR needs to think about how this affects them too. HR people can get very mixed up because you can see different behaviours and assume that equals different values and that is not the case. If an organisation is really going to work on values and culture, it really needs to have the intelligence and insight to interpret the different behaviours within a country, within generations and across borders to really understand what their drivers are and then how to manage the culture, how to manage uh, that diversity for the benefit of the organisation. And that takes effort and that takes insight. You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Next, I ask Martin about the role of values and behaviour. The received wisdom, I think it's fair to say, is that it's important to apply consistent global values across your organisation, across international boundaries. What's your take on that? Do you think that is desirable or indeed possible? I think it is desirable, actually. I think it needs to be done very sensitively. And I think probably the sorts of sets of values that were um, perhaps prevalent in companies which were either nationally based or perhaps internationally but not truly global that may have been promulgated, say, 10 years ago would probably need a bit of a rethink. But I have no doubt that in basic human nature uh, is pretty much the same the world over. And the values that we aspire to in our businesses can be applied globally and probably should be applied globally. The wording needs to be thought about and you certainly need to think about um, its translation. So even in a world which is increasingly... Uh, where English is the second and the business and the main business language, I think it is useful to be able to translate those values into the languages you need to, and then check that they make sense. And I think the underlying philosophies of the values, I'm sure, make sense. I really don't think there'll be a problem. But the translation of those words, if they're not thought through quite carefully, um, can be problematical. So HRs shouldn't be anxious about being perceived as as perhaps being colonial in trying to export their values. Um, that's another. That's another whole thing. I think that's that's more to do with um, inflicting the way we do things. I think that's different from values. I think values are inherently about the way we want to operate, and I think they, generally speaking, values play to basic human nature, which I think, think thankfully, in the world is pretty ubiquitous. I think the way we do things and our priorities and our approaches um, is another matter, and I think there. In the international context, one has to be extremely careful, and centralization does tend to pull the pendulum towards a one um, one solution fits all and I think we need to be very careful. I can understand centralization I can understand having a headquarters approach um, and systems that are rolled up across the globe. You need to collect data from your global business, but I think you you can do that in a sensitive way and recognize that um, people in other countries have perfectly good ideas and perfectly different ways of delivering the same result. 
There's no doubt that striking a balance between global and local is critical. APV offers us a great example. Kay talks us through their challenge. Fundamentally, um, somewhere between 60-65% of our business is in Europe. And we're in some fairly traditional West European countries which have very distinctive cultures, ways of doing things. And inevitably that means that there's a, there's a real sense of pride because we're at top-level engineering. Um, there's a real sense of pride in what we do and a real misunderstanding about the need to change that. It's about adapting rather than fundamentally losing something. And that's the message that's difficult for employees to understand. So from what you're saying, it sounds as if you've had some difficulties with selling the the values of, of globalisation to the organisation as a whole because you've encountered these, these local, not so much difficulties, but differences. I think there's a, a difference between people's heads and people's hearts. I think there is no difficulty in the organisation in people fundamentally understanding the 1APV strategy. It's when you get into the operation of it, which means they've got to do things differently. It's the how rather than the what. At that point, you then start to get fairly emotive arguments against it. And it's at that point that the organisation needs to be prepared to work at a slightly slower pace, enrolling people and bringing them on board the idea rather than just forcing it on them. Now, I know that you've encountered this issue in Denmark in particular. Well, Denmark is is a particular challenge for us because we have, of our 3,000 employees, we have some 850 in Denmark. And so it is a very important uh, group of of, uh, employees. And the enrolment has been particularly difficult because it's a small country. Uh, it, it doesn't really fundamentally see globalisation as its number one issue. And uh, trying to persuade and enrol people who fundamentally uh, work to live and for whom quality of life is extremely important and can't really understand why there's a problem that they're not in the office from three o'clock on Friday afternoons onwards uh, just because somebody from China or somewhere across the world actually needs a quote right now. That can be a much more difficult uh, conversation to have with people. And for us as an organisation, it's, it's a huge challenge in trying to, to work out at what point do we stop giving up uh, persuading the Danes to be different and we actually organise the organisation differently. The way they're operating in Denmark is, is, is sort of work-life balance we're all aspiring to over here. So as you say, is, is it more a question of changing the way things operate elsewhere in order to fit with that? I think it's a, it's a, it's a healthy compromise. At the end of the day... Uh, we have a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week business globally. And if, you're f- if you are trying to rely on a group of individuals for whom that is a problem, then as an organisation, you then have to think about plan B. Uh, albeit that Denmark remains an extremely important site for us, we're also growing an engineering capability in China. An interesting insight there into truly global thinking. The importance of HR being able to operate on a global stage was reinforced by Nick Thripp, Vice President HR at Infinium International Limited. I think that what we'll find is that we look more globally in order to meet our global needs. So instead of trying to meet all of our needs from within the geographies with which we're most familiar, we're going to have to take more risks to try and meet the needs of resourcing our organisations from places with which we're less familiar. Uh, And 
that means that there will be challenges in terms of capability development, uh, in terms of our own management processes and systems, uh, in terms of our own ability to uh, handle diversity, uh, and particularly in terms of our own uh, inclusiveness. And I think that uh, a key skill, uh, a key capability uh, that all organisations will have to Uh, be able to master is that of being inclusive. But that goes right back to the core purpose, uh, that it's getting the best out of the resource that you have. A good summary from Nick there of HR's core purpose. However, increasing globalisation means, it seems, that HR professionals will, more and more, be fulfilling that core purpose in a global marketplace. At the same time, globalisation is just one of the influences affecting the role and shape of HR. In our next podcast, we'll be taking a wider look at the key influences changing the HR function. In the meantime, if you'd like to know more about the issues raised in this programme, you can find the notes that accompany the podcast at cipd.co.uk slash podcasts. But for now, goodbye. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series.